1833, by his 100th day in office, President Franklin Roosevelt had many legislative victories. He'd laid a foundation for the country's recovery from the Great Depression, and he also, as it turns out, set a first 100 days standard against which all presidents would come to be measured. The Trump administration approaches that marker this week, with his 100th day in office, on April 29th. Now, Trump made some big promises on the campaign trail. I am asking the American people to dream big once again. What follows is my 100-day action plan to make America great again. And although he recently tweeted that the first 100 days is a, quote, ridiculous standard, we're going to go ahead and hold him to it. We're going to look at how many of those campaign promises he's come through on. Plus, we'll explore how his first few months in office are telling of what's to come in the next four years. This is Can He Do That? A podcast exploring the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. And today we have a very special First 100 Days episode. So for our first-time listeners, normally we take one issue in the news where Trump seems to be breaking presidential precedent, and we go ahead and bring on experts who can analyze the historical and legal context. Today, instead, we have three awesome Washington Post reporters on the show who are going to talk us through where Trump stands at this moment in his presidency. I'm so excited that they're here. We're going to go ahead and introduce each one of them to you. So, Michelle, go ahead. Hi, I'm Michelle Yehili. I'm a reporter on The Washington Post Fact Checker. I'm Karen Tumulty. Uh, I cover politics. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm a reporter for The Fix at The Washington Post here. Awesome. So again, so glad you guys are here. Thank you so much. And we're going to dive right in. So I mentioned there that the 100 days marker emerged after the success of FDR's first 100 days. FDR at the time signed 99 executive orders and he had 15 major legislative victories. Is this a fair standard against which to measure presidents? Does this measurement of 100 days actually matter that much? It resonates for a couple of reasons. One, that legislation did sort of lay the groundwork for the New Deal. It did rescue the country from a a very serious situation. And there is, you know, no comparison to the situation in which we find ourselves today. But the other thing that gives it resonance is that FDR, with his first 100 days, also began to build the foundation for a governing coalition that endured through Ronald Reagan's ascension. And so when politicians talk about it, they are talking not only about getting kind of these tangible legislative achievements, but also about essentially reorienting the entire political philosophy of the country. Right. But historians and analysts all agree that 100 days is not a very long period of time. You know, we can't necessarily measure how an entire presidency in this amount of time. Do you agree with that? But they do give you a sense of where things are likely to head in the second 100 days, in the third 100 days. And also, they give you a sense of whether a president is capable of learning on the job. So I went back into the Washington Post archives to take a look at exactly how we did this in the past. So I'm going to go ahead and read what we said in April of 1993 about Bill Clinton, and then we're going to talk about that. So we said here, The first 100 days of Bill Clinton's presidency have diminished public expectations that he can do much to turn around a country that seven out of 10 voters think is going in the wrong direction. Whatever the voters may have believed last winter about what Clinton and the new Congress would do to fix the economy, reduce the federal deficit, and put the country on a different path, they are noticeably more doubtful today. 
So this sounds kind of familiar to some extent, right? So how did that reporting back then stack up against the remainder of the Clinton presidency? It was a very, very ragged first hundred days. He took on health care. He got distracted by a bunch of other kinds of issues, gays in the military. He went back on his signature campaign promise of a middle-class tax cut. All of those things, I think, laid the groundwork for what was an absolutely disastrous midterm election in 1994. This is what we said about Barack Obama's first 100 days in office. We said, There has been nothing tentative about President Obama's first 100 days in office. Some presidents start slowly. Obama began to lead even before he was sworn in. He has set in motion so many initiatives, domestic and international, that his top advisors know that one of their biggest challenges will be to prevent that many pieces of his agenda from crashing into one another before they can be enacted and begin to work. So what's interesting to me here is that while this might have been true for the first 100 days, the Obama administration sort of slowed down over the next eight years. Can you speak to how this held up over time? Well, in the end, they pretty much focused the entire first couple of years on the presidency of, on getting health care reform through, uh, something that a lot of Democrats, including people like Chuck Schumer, said was a mistake, that the priorities should have been more focusing on the disastrous uh, financial collapse that had happened only a few months before Barack Obama took office that healthcare should have waited and and rebuilding the economy should have come first. And like Bill Clinton, Barack Obama went on to a disastrous midterm election, got reelected, and then went on to another disastrous midterm election. Yeah. So do you think then that the fact that the under the Trump administration, healthcare has, we thought maybe had gone away, but now seems to be something that they're going to revisit. Do you think that waiting is actually something that might benefit him in the long run? I think so. I think the Bill Clinton versus Barack Obama first 100 days are a good example of not getting a lot done and paying a price for it and then getting a major thing done and also pay- paying a price for that. The The problem with, with health care is I think the Trump administration would very much like a win. They would like to pass something. Passing the wrong thing can arguably be worse than passing nothing at all. One thing that's striking about this is Trump is really fixated on this 100-day marker. It's something he seems to care deeply about. He talked about it multiple times on the campaign trail, even drawing up that contract for the American voter. Um, So what do you guys think is the reason for this? I actually see the influence of Newt Gingrich here because when the Republicans took over Congress in 1994, they ran on something called the Contract with America. Sounds very much like, like Trump's title of his contract. And that, too, was a list of major pieces of, a le- of legislation that they were going to pass in, wait for it, their first 100 days <laughs> in taking over the House. What I find interesting about Trump's first 100 days is that he signed this contract with the American voter, where he held himself to this 100-day standard for so many of his promises. He made 60 different promises in this one document that he said he's going to keep most of them within the first 100 days. So it's kind of a self-imposed standard here. It's not really like the Washington Post saying, what have you done in the first 100 days? It's us saying, well, you said you would do all these things within the first 100 days. So have you done what you said you would do? It strikes me that he cares that that President Trump cares deeply about numbers, about quantitative measurements, right? This is something that he he cares about ratings, for example. That's been something that's really important to him. We got very 
high ratings, by the way, but I won't mention that. But it was my Is 100 days and sort of the number of executive orders and the number of pieces of legislation something he fixes, fixates on as a result of his kind of obsession, for lack of a better word, with numbers and quantitative measures? Right. I mean, I think he's a very ratings-driven guy. And it makes total sense that he's approaching his performance measure in his new job, this huge job, based on the numbers. I mean, if you go back to the contract, and not even just that document itself, but even just his speeches throughout the campaign, it's been, I will do X many things on the first day. I will do X many things on 100 days. On the first day of my term of office, my administration will immediately pursue the following six measures to clean up the corruption and special interest collusion in Washington. I will begin taking, and really taking, strongly seven actions to protect American workers. Additionally, on the first day, I will take the following five actions to restore security and constitutional rule of law. Next, I will work with Congress to introduce the following broader legislative measures and fight for their passage within the first 100 days of my administration. Michelle, you would know this well as you've been tracking some of those 60 promises and how he's progressed on them throughout the first 100 days. How is he doing quantitatively? How do these numbers stack up? So based on the ratings, (laughs) (laughs) um, well, he's not actually started on more than half of the promises that he said he would keep a lot of them within that he said he would keep within the first hundred days um let's see he's kept five promises he's broken five promises and launched 12 promises among his kept promises are replacing justice scalia which you know he's done and he's very proud of that um he has announced that he would withdraw from the trans-pacific partnership i will announce our withdrawal from the Trans-Pacific Partnership, a potential disaster for our country. Um, Among his broken promises, of course, is to label China a currency manipulator, which he said repeatedly he would do. I will direct my Secretary of the Treasury to label China a currency manipulator. After talking with the Chinese President Xi Jinping, he decided that actually they're not manipulating their currency after all. Among other things that he's launched but not completed yet is removing um, more than two million criminal illegal immigrants from the country. He's taken a lot of action in terms of um, cracking down on illegal immigration. That is something that he does deserve credit for. He's acted really quickly on that. Arrests of people who are here illegally, uh, whether they have criminal backgrounds or not, have gone up. Um, Apprehensions along the border have gone down significantly. So these are actions that he's actually started. He's also said that he would eliminate the defense sequester. He would fund the construction of a wall. These are things he's kind of, he started on, but we haven't really seen come to fruition. And that, I think one of the reasons for this is, is something that I would think I would have to rank as my biggest surprise of the first 100 days, which is how little preparation Trump seemed to have come to office with. At least in modern history, Republicans are very, very good at transitions. Uh, George W. Bush, despite the fact that he had got a really late start thanks to the Florida recount in the United States Supreme Court, nonetheless had pretty much his whole team on, on in place. He had his tax cut plan ready to go. He had his education reform plan ready to go, in part, I think, because he'd been a governor. Donald Trump, not only Donald Trump, but everyone around him has come to their jobs with 
almost no, in, in his case, absolutely no experience in government. His secretary of state is also the first one in modern history with no experience in government. So I think the learning curve has been a lot steeper. And also the expectations of what they could get done have been a lot more unrealistic. One place that we've seen that evidenced is in his recent interview with the Associated Press. He really seems like he's been kind of humbled by the presidency. And maybe he realizes, I think one of the direct quotes was something like, you know, to be president, to work in government, it really takes heart. You don't need that in the private sector as much. So is he is he learning that, that this takes a lot of time? Yeah, I think a lot of the things that he promised, it was patently obvious to us that getting all of this stuff done was going to be impossible. The degree of the promises were absolute. He was going to solve this problem. He was going to do this thing that he needed to get Congress to go on board with him with. He apparently didn't have anybody alongside him who was saying, maybe you should worry about promising too much and not being able to able to deliver on it. I think that the currency manipulator thing is a really good example of this. Trump's defense right now is that China is really important in dealing with North Korea. And that's why he can't label them a currency manipulator. He also says they're not manipulating the currency, but that's, his, that's kind of a side issue. He's saying that the reason is because China is so important. China was really important to North Korea before Trump was president. This, this was, has been clear to anybody who follows foreign policy for many years now. And Trump apparently didn't have anybody telling him, hey, you know, doing this to China might be a bad idea because they're really important to North Korea. He, he would just make these promises. He didn't have people around him telling him that they were over the top. And uh, the voters in the Republican Party never punished him for never thought that they were over the top. So they kept electing. They kept uh, supporting him. And so now he's in a situation where he's got to deliver on all these promises that apparently uh, he never thought about kind of reigning in. On a domestic level, that reminds me of what the words that will probably be the epitaph of the first hundred days. It turns out health care is really complicated. <laughs> now, I have to tell you, it's an unbelievably complex subject. Nobody knew that health care could be so complicated. What I think is interesting is that maybe President Trump is realizing that his words have consequences. And that's a really big difference from being in a private sector and negotiating behind closed doors with someone who you're just kind of doing a business deal with, just with no outside interest, but yourself and that other business person. You know, we know that when he was making deals, you know, he would say that his building is like 88 floors, but it's actually 81 floors. But he just kind of added seven floors. And that had nothing to do with like policy or anything. He just kind of making a deal. He's negotiating. He's calling some bluffs or whatever. But when it comes to him being a president now, if he wakes up one day and says that Trump Tower has been wiretapped, you saw that everyone asked, okay, where's the proof? We're going to ask you if this is a case, then please tell us. We'd like to know the evidence. What are the tangible consequences of making these sort of grandiose claims and promises? Are there any consequences? Uh, I don't think we know yet. Uh, I, I think that it a lot of it – okay, let's talk about the last week before this 100-day mark. Donald Trump continues to just load the system. He's once again you know, putting the accelerator on coming up with a plan to re repeal and replace Obamacare. He's dropped at least the broad outlines of what would be a really ambitious tax reform uh, bill onto the Hill. He, he continues to push and push and push. So the one thing 
that you've got to give Donald Trump, for better or worse, is that Donald Trump as president is the same person as Donald Trump as a candidate. And he promised he was going to blow up the system, and he's doing it. If you look at the polls, uh, the broken promises haven't depressed his support. The Republican Party base is still on board. Uh, We did a poll here at The Washington Post over the weekend that showed 96% of Trump supporters would vote for him again. Uh, Just 2% thought that he had been a worse president than expected. 66% thought he was a better president than they expected. Uh, There is no real public indication of buyer's remorse among Trump's base. But I think that the broken promises have reinforced that he is a president whose approval rating is going to be 40% or around there for a while, unless he changes something significant. He is pursuing a base strategy in which that base is sticking by him, but the rest of the country, I think, uh, judges him poorly for a lot of these things. So we're not seeing a a shift in views of him necessarily, but it's kind of cemented where he is as a political entity. Yeah, and that poll also said that he had a 53% disapproval rating, which is something that, according to our pollsters, is the highest uh, percentage of disapproval rating in modern history. So, you know, that is some sort of significant reflection of potential political consequences of, of what he's done thus far. So let's go through some of the specific promises, the first one being uh, his nomination uh, and his appointment of Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch. I don't think that there is a presidential period of time in the first 100 days where anyone's done nearly what we've been able to do. And on top of it, we just had, during the first 100 days, a Supreme Court justice approved, not just nominated. Now, some people say, mark this among his accomplishments. The administration certainly says that this is the biggest accomplishment and it will have implications for years and years to come. However, really, in some ways, it's Mitch McConnell's accomplishment because McConnell is essentially the person who stalled the, the appointment of Merrick Garland. So is this an accomplishment? Is it a major accomplishment for Trump? I think it is a major accomplishment because in in his nominee, he picked someone who, you know, not a lot of Democrats were ever going to vote for him because in part because of their bitterness over Merrick Garland. But he he picked a nominee who was pretty reassuring, I think, to the public at large. It looked like an adult choice. Um, the, the vetting seems to have been done smoothly. There were no big surprises in the confirmation hearings. So even though he will probably always have this little asterisk, which is that Mitch McConnell had to change the rules on the filibuster to get him through, I think he has gone down as a pretty mainstream choice for a Republican president. Without question, the biggest accomplishment of his first 100 days the only one that actually had to go through Congress, by the way, it only had to go through one chamber of Congress and they had to change the rules. Uh, but confirming a Supreme Court justice is never an easy thing to do. As Karen said, it was relatively smooth. But on the other hand, most Supreme Court justices that are nominated do wind up being confirmed. It's rare that they actually wind up not going through. So that also needs to color our, our reviews of this this achievement. Yeah. So another one of these things is Trump's rallying cry from the campaign. We all know it well. Build the wall. Who's going to pay for it? Mexico (laughs) at an eventual time at a later date in some form. End Illegal Immigration Act. Fully funds the construction of a wall on our southern border. Don't worry about it. Remember, I said Mexico's paying for the wall. 
with the full understanding that the country of Mexico will be reimbursing the United States for the full cost of such a wall. It was interesting. I spent last week with Congressman Will Hurd, who is a Texas Republican, has a district. It's enormous. It's bigger than 29 states. But it also includes a third of the U.S.-Mexico border in a single congressional district. And I asked a lot of people what they thought of this wall idea since they live there. And even among diehard Trump supporters, hardliners on immigration, people who want to deport all 11 million undocumented immigrants, I could not find a single person who believes that this wall would be an effective means of controlling the problems on the border or an effective use of government money. It just seems like, in their view, you know, completely a ridiculous idea. And so now White House flirted with and actually at a time was demanding that border wall funding was going to be included in the government funding bill that they're they're dealing with this week. They've now backed off of that after saying it was a must have part of the legislation. So they, they kind of bluffed and had their bluff called. Uh, Trump still says that the wall is going to be a priority. They're apparently going to push for this funding at a later date. Uh, but if they couldn't get it done in, in this kind of must pass legislation that is funding the government, I do wonder how they're going to get it passed at a later date when there's not that that impetus for for actually passing the bill. And even though he hasn't actually accomplished a wall, like border wall and make Mexico pay for it, as he had promised, um, he's done a lot of headline grabbing things that are appealing to his base. You know, he did the Muslim ban. He's blocking funding for sanctuary cities. He there are these you know, photos of ICE agents arresting immigrants and, you know, deporting them. And so he's still taking action on all these things related to immigration that is totally different from what the Obama administration had done and changing priorities for deportation and grabbing all these headlines that are still showing that he's doing something on illegal immigration. Yeah. And some of this is about the sort of personality that he projects and the things that he might not actually tangibly do, but the idea that he... he offers by, by doing some of these, by saying that he's going to do some of these things. So in the sense that he hasn't necessarily accomplished a ton of tangible things, is his language accomplishing more than we give him credit for? For better and worse, I think. Uh, the other thing that, that when I was in Texas last week, I discovered in talking to business people is that even as illegal traffic is down, what they're sensing is that the kind of traffic that they want is also down. They're seeing fewer tourists from Mexico. They are seeing fewer uh, kind of day-tripping shoppers who, who from Mexico who used to drop a lot of money. Uh, there's a great fear along the border that this is going to, to really impede commerce, the, the kind of thing that is the lifeblood for a lot of states that voted for Donald Trump. And it, even though he's had all this rhetoric and it's stopping some of the traffic right now it's his rhetoric is not solving the actual border crisis um like we talked about with the border funding you know the wall won't solve border security really uh, and a lot of people don't think that it will but saying that um, he's going to crack down on illegal immigration doesn't solve the fact that there's a humanitarian crisis in Central America that's led to a lot of this traffic along the border. Um, people trying to find refuge because of all the violence in the Northern Triangle down in Central America. So, 
even though this may have his rhetoric may have led to a slowdown right now, we don't know that it's going to stay that way because the humanitarian crisis still exists. Okay, so here is the last question. It's how we end all of these shows. So I'm going to toss it to you guys, which is, can he do that? And in this case, it's can he come through on his promises to the American voter in 100 days? The quantity of promises that were made uh, are Jenna Johnson here at The Post, who cataloged all these promises, came up with 282 of them, I believe was the number. Um, that doesn't even explain the magnitude of some of these promises. He was gonna, he's going to solve, you know, he's going to defeat ISIS. He's going to uh, solve the illegal immigration problem. Uh, there will be no illegal immigrant crime in this country. Uh, there are just so many things that are such huge promises that if he were to accomplish 20% of them, it would be a, 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 a huge presidency, a hugely consequential presidency. He set himself up for failure by promising way too much and not apparently understanding the limitations of the presidency. So he may still have a successful presidency with the things that he does accomplish, but he's never going to accomplish all the things that he said he would. Unless things really change in the next 48 hours. <laughs> I agree with Aaron. <laughs> I, but I do think that in the end, as Aaron suggested, he is going to be measured not by some kind of checklist of promises. He is going to be measured by whether at the end of his presidency, whether it's one or two terms, people feel like their lives have improved, whether the opportunities for their children have improved, uh, and whether the country is just a better place. Great. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. If you want to know more about Trump's progress on those 100-day promises and his contract to the American voter, you can go ahead and visit WashingtonPost.com. But in the meantime, you should subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, or share it, or follow me at Allison Mikes on Twitter and send me a tweet to let me know. Send me your story ideas. Keep it coming. Thank you guys so much for listening. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Carol Alderman, freshly tanned from A Great Vacation, with art direction from Rachel Orr and logo art from Loren Boglio.